0: Matthew chapter number 26, Matthew chapter number 26, I think I got this thing, there it is, Matthew chapter number 26, man isn't it a blessing to be in the house of God today and uh, I'm thrilled that you're here today and uh, I'm glad we were talking in Sunday school about darkness and light and you know we're to walk in the light, we're children of the light, amen, and uh, we were talking about the sunshine outside, there ain't much of it today, But I'm glad to report above the clouds, the sun's still shining. You say, well, preacher, what does that have to do with? Well, I'm also glad to report to you that above the clouds, the sun is still raining. Amen. He's still on his throne. He's still in control. And what a blessing it is. Aren't you glad as a believer in Jesus Christ that you can meet the day knowing that your master is in control of it all? Matthew chapter number 26. And uh, this morning we're going to read just a few verses to begin with. We'll read much of this chapter by way of the preaching. But I want to begin in verse 55. If you're a student of the Bible, you know some of what's going on in this chapter. We will find ourselves in the garden of Gethsemane as a group of armed men with swords and staves come out to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. He will allow himself to be taken that night and uh, be carted off to their kangaroo court condemned not by the law of god but by the laws of men and will then set his face like a flint towards the cross of calvary and die for our sins but before we ever get to that place i want us to look at this scene here in the garden and consider some things not just about the lord jesus but about one of his apostles by the name of simon peter the bible says in verse 55 matthew chapter 26 verse 55 in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for letting us be in this place. Lord, I'm thankful for your presence that we've already felt. Lord, I'm thankful to know that, Lord, it's not just these that have showed up today, but you've showed up. You have a desire to work in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, there's not a single person that's here by accident or coincidence, Lord, everyone here today is here by providence. You've ordered their steps to bring them to this place and to this hour because you love them, you have a desire to work in their heart and in their life. So I pray that we would all, with open face, Lord, receive your word, with open hearts, hearing the truth of it, and Lord, with self-reflection, looking at ourselves, not at our neighbor, but saying, Lord, what do you have to say to me this morning in the preaching? And Lord, we know that if we'll do so in sincerity that You'll do a work in us that will bring glory to You and be for our good. Lord, thank You for the cross of Calvary. I thank You, Lord, not just for the portion that we've read today, but I thank You for the rest of the story, Lord. I'm thankful You went to the cross, that You died in my place. It should have been me on that cross, but You stepped on that cross before I ever got there. You died in my place. Lord, if I had died on that cross, I would have just stayed dead. But You got into the tomb and then got up out of it three days later victorious. And Lord, I can now live through you. I'm so thankful for what you did for me. Bless the preaching this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want us to take a few moments this morning and look at this man named Simon Peter. One commentator, I believe, has uh, aptly said that if you were to somehow surgically remove the character or personage of the Lord Jesus out of the Gospels, what you'd be left with is the Gospel of Simon Peter. He looms larger than any of the other apostles, and uh, he's sort of like me. The Lord has to talk to me a lot because I'm in trouble a lot. Amen? Anybody like me? And Simon Peter, he is always interacting with the Lord. And there's two reasons for that. One, uh, because he's a loud mouth. Amen. And two, because he always seems to be sticking that big fisherman's foot right in that mouth and causing problems and saying foolish things and making mistakes. And the Lord in patience, kindness, long-sufferingness, He doesn't kick him out of the group, but instead He patiently teaches him and brings him along and ministers to him and works works with him in grace. But when we come to the passage that we've read today, we have before us not just a garden variety blunder that Simon Peter makes. It's not just a bad day for him. It's not just a day when he makes a slight misstep. In fact, I think Peter would agree with what I'm about to say, that it was in fact the darkest day of Simon Peter's life. He did something on this day that would in many ways, no doubt, had it not been for the forgiveness of God, haunted him the rest of his life. And just as David's sin with Bathsheba, just as Moses' sin in smiting the rock, just as Abraham's sin in going in unto Hagar, this becomes the defining sin of Peter's life when he denies the Lord Jesus and curses him in order to disassociate himself from the Lord. You think about that event, that action, and I think that we would all probably agree that we could never imagine ourselves doing such a thing. But I think when we study this passage of Scripture, we begin to learn how it's possible for a man. Hey, I think when Peter later on, when, when Peter said, Lord, thou knowest I love thee, I think he was telling the truth. I mean, I don't think he is just blowing smoke. I think he was telling the truth. When when he says, Lord, I love you more than these, I think to the best of his knowledge, he's telling the truth. We're not talking about a man that is just superficially devoted. We're not talking about a Judas, nor are we talking about a Demas. But we are talking about a man that genuinely loved the Lord, but still he found himself around the fires of denial, cursing the name of the Lord Jesus. We better be careful in judging Peter. Because the truth is, it could be you and it could be me. I think when we read our text this morning, there is a phrase that begins to give us an understanding of what has happened in Peter's life. And it's found in verse 58. I don't know if you noticed it, but I want you to notice it with me now. The Bible says, but Peter followed him afar off under the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants. Now, I want you to notice these last four words. Why did he do that? To see the end. I want us for a few moments this morning, if we can, to reverse engineer Peter's experience. I want us to deconstruct how a man that loved the Lord so much could wind up in the shape that he wound up in. And I think I have the answer here in this passage. It's because to him, he thought it was the end. When you read this story of Scripture, you'll find that Peter lost several things in that garden. Uh, we find whenever they come to arrest the Lord Jesus that Peter, uh, he takes out a sword and he starts swinging it. And you can believe what you want. I don't believe he was swinging for the high priest servant's ear. I believe he was aiming for his head. But fishermen ain't known for their sword craft. And I think he wasn't even uh, trying really. I think he was going to kill that man, but I don't think that was his ultimate goal. I think probably that man was standing in between him and Judas and he was ready to cut down anybody he had to to get to that turncoat. And to get to that traitor. I would say this. He lost his temper that night in the garden. I'm thankful every time we lose our temper, we don't wind up in the shape Peter wound up in. Boy, some of us just stay in the doghouse, wouldn't we? Not only did he lose his temper, but I would say this. He lost his testimony that night in the garden. This became, at least for that man, the defining moment in Peter's life. Could you imagine how difficult it would ever have been for Peter to look at this man and try to tell him that the man they arrested that night was not guilty of the crimes that they claimed, but was in fact the only perfect man to ever walk the earth, was not just the Son of Man, but was the Son of God. I'd say this, we better be careful swinging our sword around at people. We'll cut off what they listen to us with. You listening to me? We'll cut off what they listen to us with. We'll cut off their ear and we'll have no more influence in their life if we lose our temper. He lost his testimony. But I don't really think that's what led to this moment. I think it is in this phrase to see the end that we find the key for why Peter went so wrong. And I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. Losing hope and losing heart. You say, preacher, what was it that Peter lost that led him down this road? I think he lost hope that night in the garden. We think of hope as a very anemic concept because we typically use the term hope only in a speculative sense. We use it in terms of, well, I hope it rains, or I hope it doesn't rain. Well, I hope they show up, or I hope they don't show up. Well, I hope this happens, or I hope that happens. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not speaking of something that is anemic. It's not speaking of something that's theoretical, hypothetical, or speculative. Rather, it's talking about the firm confidence of the heart being set upon the promises of God. And when we come to this passage of Scripture, it's a very different Peter that walks into the garden than the man that walks out of the garden. Can I tell you this this morning? We sometimes think losing hope and losing heart in our life has no greater recourse than simply feeling defeated or discouraged. But did you know if we yield our hope in the Lord to life circumstances, it can cause shipwreck in our life. Hey, there's marriages ended because folks lost hope. There's churches destroyed because folks lost hope. There's children cast into the pit of hell because parents lost hope. And if we're not careful, we will allow life's crushing circumstances and disappointments to rob us of the hope that we have in the Lord and cause us to yield to despair. When I read this passage of Scripture, I don't just read the story of a man that sat by a fire. I read the story of a man that lost his hope. And see how it could happen to you and I. Notice three thoughts with me this morning, and then we'll be done. Let's consider first off the reason for his lost hope. People lose hope for certain reasons. I mean, most people don't go along uh, buoyant through life, hoping in things, and then all of a sudden they just wake up one day and decide that the clouds are gathering and decide that the walls are crumbling. Usually, there are some things that cause us to lose hope in things. Can I tell you, our country's in a very dangerous place of losing hope in some things. We've lost hope in some things. We've lost hope in our leadership. We've lost hope in in our elections. We've lost hope in the integrity of people governing us to be doing things in the right way. We've we've lost hope in in people that are supposed to tell us the truth, telling us the truth. And a lot of the reason you see our country unraveling is because people have lost hope. Wicked men have always been wicked. And the things that are bearing fruit today were planted many decades ago. And they've always been growing in darkness. But now they've burst through to the light. People have seen things for what they are. And they've lost hope. And our country is unraveling because of it. And your life, when you yield and give up hope, your life will unravel likewise. Now, how did Peter lose his hope? Well, I would say this. He lost his hope because his hope was placed in the wrong thing in the first place. It's funny how we use terms like hope. This happens, we're getting ready, I guess, to have something like an election next year. and, And when we do, all the politicians, it's amazing. They all have a religious revival and become people of faith. They don't have a problem with murdering children in in the womb. They don't have a problem with all sorts of sexual deviancy and depravity. And they don't have a problem with abusing and selling children and, and vulnerable people. they got no problem with that. But then when it's time to send mailers to your house, they become people of faith. But you know, faith is only valuable in as much as it's placed in the right thing. And hope likewise, I remember years ago a man running for president talking about hope and change, hope and change, hope and change. But we didn't get hope, we lost hope when that hope and change came. And so hope is only valuable in as much as it's placed in the right thing. And I can tell you the first place Peter went wrong, he hoped in the wrong thing. I wonder if we don't lose hope in our lives because we've placed it in things other than the Lord. And I'll tell you this, people will disappoint you. Life will disappoint you. You will disappoint yourself. Uh, before you stand there and say, well, everybody's disappointed me, you better look in the mirror first, because before they ever disappointed you, you've disappointed yourself. If you put your hope in the wrong place, don't be surprised when you lose it. Well, where did he put his hope? Well, look back with me at verse number 30. The Bible says this, they, they are entering the garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says, when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Now at this moment, everyone should have stopped and said, Lord, what would you have us do? Lord, what can we do? What can we do to change this? What can we do to help this? Lord, is there anything that any instructions you have? But the Bible says this, but Peter answered. A lot of problems in Peter's life began this way. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, That this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. That would have been the second chance for Peter to say, really, Lord? But he didn't. He said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Can I say, number one, the reason he lost hope is he hoped in himself. He said, everybody else may fail you, everybody else may give up on you, but I love you too much, I'm too devoted to you, I'm too dedicated to you, I'm cut from a different cloth, I'm of a different character and of a different caliber. And you can imagine why there was so much animosity towards Peter. You know, John and Peter, they didn't always see eye to eye. And I don't guess I would like the fellow that was turned around pointing at me, saying, well, he might betray you, Lord, but I never will. Peter's pride, his hubris, his arrogance is showing through because he doesn't really believe in the Lord in the sense of trusting in His Word at this moment, but rather he's trusting in himself that he will defy the Word of the Lord. Can I tell you, just a a big principle of life, I'm going to help you out. Listen, I'm going to add 10 years to your life right now. You ready? Believe what God says about you more than what you think about yourself. If there's ever a disagreement between what you think about you and what God says about you, admit you're wrong and believe what God says about you. Because to deny the truth of the inerrant word of God and the testimony and witness concerning ourselves, our character, our substance is the absolute epitome of folly. And Peter made that mistake this night. I'd say this, he lost hope because he hoped in himself. And guess what? Himself disappointed him. I'll tell you, there's been people disappointed me in my life, but nobody has disappointed me like I've disappointed me. There's been people in my life that have said things to me I would have thought they would have never said, done things to me I thought they would have never done, failed and let me down in ways I would have never thought, but there's never been a more persistent fly in the ointment of my hopes and dreams than myself. I'll tell you this, when you hope in yourself, you've thrown your hope away. I see he hoped in himself, but then look at verse 36, and we're just going to sort of just scattergun these verses for a moment. but We won't take time to read all of them. But the Bible says this, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Now here's the first test of the night, you understand. Peter doesn't know yet that he's going to fail the Lord, but he's getting ready to learn just how feeble he truly is. The Lord says, All I want you to do is sit here and don't fall asleep. Pray with me. The Bible says in verse 40, He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, isn't that interesting? He said it to Peter. Why did he say it to Peter? Well, because Peter was the one who was just crowing about how he was never going to fail God. Yeah. And so he saith unto, uh, uh, unto Peter, what could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And then he said something that must have cut like a knife in Peter's heart. The spirit indeed is willing, but Peter, Peter, the flesh is weak. He goes away. He prays much the same prayer to his father. He sweats, as it were, drops of blood. Angels come to attend him from heaven. And he comes back to this little group of men in verse 43. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Let me say it this way. How did Peter go from from boldly declaring, I will never fail you, God, to sitting by a fire and cussing his name? Well, he hoped in himself. That was part of his problem. But I'd say, number two, he hoped in his strength to see him through. He thought, they may fall asleep, they may abandon you, they may fail you, but I'm stronger than they are. (laughs) I want to be careful how I say this, but I believe I'm on good scriptural ground when when I say this. Human strength is an obstacle to God, not an asset. When we boast in our own strength, what we're doing is saying, God, look how big this obstacle is that you need to get rid of in my life. The Bible tells us this, the psalmist said, he weakened my strength in the way. Paul reveals that God expressly worked in his life to rob him of strength in himself, that he might enjoy and experience the strength of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And the reality is, when we hope in our own strength, it won't be long, your strength will fail you. You say, well, preacher, i got enough discipline, I've got enough resolve, I've got enough commitment, and I've got enough grit. You think you do. But wait till the moment when it all comes crashing in. <laughs> I, I've, I've learned this painfully so, uh, and this has probably been good for me. I've learned that I'm a weak individual. I don't have strength enough myself. Anything good that comes out of my life is the Lord. It's not me. But I've also learned how, how cruelly age robs you of strength. Now before you snicker all you, all you older folks, it's cause I hang out with y'all all the time. <sighs> And it has given me a different perspective because most people at 35 would think they could leap tall buildings in a single bound. I hang out with old folks whose joints hurt all day. And I'm reminded consistently, I'm reminded consistently that the strength we think we have is fading as a flower. Man, we think we've got it all under control, but we don't know what out of control is. We think we've got all the strength we need, but we don't know what it is to have weakness creep over us like a cloud. Let me tell you, if the Lord tarries is coming and you don't get run over by a bus, you'll learn one day. I'll learn one day. Because the fact is, we can think we have the strength and some people just think somehow God has endowed them with an extra dose of Christianity that's put them above reproach and beyond failure. But I'd say this, if the man that stood and preached boldly on the day of Pentecost could find himself too weak to stand vigil in the hours of our Lord's greatest need, I'd say it could happen to you and me too. You hope in your own strength, your strength is going to fail you. And then look down at verse 46. I like this passage of Scripture. I don't know why. Maybe the part of me that likes shoot them up westerns likes this. I don't know. But I like this passage of Scripture. It's fascinating. The Bible says, verse 46, that the Lord says to him, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. While he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Here we're not told, but elsewhere we're told it was Simon Peter that did this. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? You say, how many is that preacher? It's a whole mess of them. One would be enough. One of them killed 185,000 Assyrians in, in, in the book of Second uh, of Kings. One would have been enough, but twelve legions of angels. And then he says this, But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? I don't know if I can correctly situate our minds on what's going on here. I'm going to do my best. But you understand that even up till the moment that they put chains on our Lord, the disciples still didn't quite understand that He was going to be crucified. Now, it's not because He hadn't told them. On this very night, He had told them. But you remember once earlier, the Lord reveals, He says to Simon Peter expressly, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of wicked men, and I'm going to be crucified and rise again the third day. And Peter grabbed the Lord and shook Him and said, "Far be it from thee. He says here in this passage, Peter says, Though I die with thee, yet will I not forsake thee. Here's what they thought. They weren't looking for a crucifixion. They were looking for a revolution. They thought they were going to accompany Him into Jerusalem, that He was going to appear before all men, proclaim and reveal Himself to be the Messiah. And He didn't think, listen, the disciples didn't think that He was taking up a a cross. They thought He was taking up a crown. And they believed up till the very last moment. And you say, Well, preacher, why would Judas do this? Judas, man, and I like people like this. They're just ready. You know, you ever meet people like this? They're just ready. I remember back when January sixth happened, and uh that we say happened like and But there there was there's two kinds of people in the world, right? There there's people that, that people that was mad it did happen and people that was mad it didn't happen more. Amen. And uh, you'd meet people and just ready. They didn't know what they was ready for, but they was ready, you know. I mean, they had their pitchfork sharpened up. They was ready, you know. And Peter, when you, are you alright today? Did I just make you nervous? Don't be nervous this morning. You'll be alright, amen. It's me saying it. I, I'm the one they're going to cart away, not you, amen. Don't get nervous. But, but Peter, he was ready. And i tell you what he thought. He was angry, no doubt. He was furious and full of rage at Judas. But part of the reason he took that sword out and started swinging it is he thought, this is the moment. It's lighting off right here, right now. We make our stand here. I'll cut through all of them. We'll slay them tonight. and Then we'll go on, march to Caiaphas' house and hang him up. And we're going to take over the country. We'll take over the nation. The kingdom will be established. Now is the moment. I would say this. Preacher, how did he lose hope? Well, he hoped in himself. He hoped in his strength but he hoped in his sword to win the day. He thought to himself, I don't have to cow, I can conquer. I don't have to surrender, I can slay. I don't have to give up, I can go down fighting. And he thought, through my own ability, through my own force of personality and and, and will, I can somehow win the day. Can I tell you something that's been lost in modern day Christianity? We have somehow been conditioned to believe that living like Christ is a matter of striving when it's really a matter of surrendering. He didn't strive in the garden. He surrendered in the garden. And can I tell you this? If you think Christianity is, well, I just have to knuckle down and try harder and give it my all and do better. What you're really saying is I need to muster all my strength to do for God what God can't do for Himself the sooner you recognize it's not about saying, well, I'm going to muster all my ability and strength and live the Christian life through my own energies, but rather you saying, I I admit and and confess myself wholly weak, inept, unable in every way, shape, fashion, and form, and if God doesn't through the Holy Spirit take me by the hand and lead me around like a two-year-old, I will make an absolute mess of my life. And so I must day by day live close to Him. I must listen to His instructions, His guidance in my life. I must keep short accounts with God and keep close in prayer with God because I can't live for a single moment without Him. It's not through my strength and it's not through the sword that I'll conquer, but it's through surrender and through the Spirit of God, through depending on Him and staying ever closer to Him. Peter lost hope in himself because he lost hope in the sword. He said, I'll just go and conquer. I'll kill them all. I'll cut them all down. And here's what he found out when he did, the Lord rebuked him. Imagine that moment. imagine it must have hit him like a thunderbolt when he pulls out his sword and starts cutting into him, and the Lord says, "Whoa! Peter put up that sword. And then he goes and he picks up that man's ear and puts it back on him. And he doesn't turn and rebuke the men there to arrest him. He turns and he rebukes Peter, and he says, "Peter, do you not think even right now I could muster the forces of heaven?" Do you think I need you doing this? Do you think I need your sword? Listen, he's got the sword of the Lord. He doesn't need Peter's sword. Can I tell you something? He's got his sword. He don't need your sword. But he hoped in the sword through sheer force of will, determination, strength, he would somehow accomplish it. Well, our text is nestled between this portion and the portion I want to read next. And you know what happens Peter goes and he follows the Lord. It's interesting to think of why he did this. Now, here's what I think was going through Peter's mind. He knew Christ had committed no crimes. He knew he had done nothing wrong. Uh, The New Testament says that this man, he went about doing good. And I think Peter thought, well, this is all a misunderstanding. That's why the Lord has gone with them. That's why instead of, 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 of launching into the breach, He just, he just put out His wrists and he, and he went meekly. That's why even though by the power of His Word He threw them back like they were just a, a handful of, of, of pennies being cast into the, into the wind, instead He put His wrists out and He went willingly because He knows they're going to examine Him and they're going to set Him free. I think Peter thought, I'm going to be there when they do. I've failed him, I've messed up, and I can't fix that. But I'm going to show him, I'm going to be there. Whenever they say, this man hath done nothing amiss, whenever they say, you're free and clear to go, me and John will be waiting there, and we'll, we'll with with open arms, we'll welcome him back. And so Peter, he follows them afar off, but things don't go the way Peter thinks. The Bible says this in verse number 59. Now the chief priests and elders... And all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, the prophet said. And the living pre, uh, the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Why did did Peter lose hope? Well, his hope was misplaced. He placed it in himself. He placed it in his strength. He placed it in his sword. But I also think on this night, part of the reason he lost hope is he placed hope in society. He thought, well, surely they'll not condemn an innocent man. Surely they'll not condemn a man that's done nothing wrong. Surely... Surely they'll they'll examine him, they'll see, surely they won't hire people to lie about him. Surely they won't make up and fabricate crimes that he didn't commit. I mean, this is all a misunderstanding and at the end of the day, the the milk of humanity will win out at the end of the day. The goodness of humankind will somehow prevail and there he sat and he watched men lie about his lord and he watched them come and, and spit their venom and he saw the high priest stand knowing those were lies and rend his clothes and pronounce him a a blasphemer, an idolater, a godless man, a reprobate, a son of Belial, and proclaim death upon him. Then Peter got up and he turned around as they beat his Lord, and he walked off. I think this is the moment where he broke. All the way along, instead of just believing in the Lord and taking Him at His word, he kept reaching for all these things that would somehow give him hope. You know why we don't want to hope in the Lord? Because the flesh doesn't want to do it. You can be fleshly in hope in yourself. You can be fleshly in hope in your strength and in your sword. And you can be fleshly in hope in society. But you can in the flesh hope in the Lord. And I think he finally at this moment, here's what he realized. They're going to kill him. Now, had he still hoped in the Lord, this would have been no reason to give up hope. For the same Lord that said He would be crucified said that He would rise again the third day. But he despaired because he had given up hope. He thought he was watching the end of it all. The end of three and a half years of incredible miracles. Three and a half years of walking in light and not darkness. Three and a half years of dwelling with the Son of God. All these wonderful things. And it wasn't just that. His hopes in the kingdom. His hopes in the crown. His hopes for Israel. Everything was wrapped up. And everything was dashed to pieces this night. And so he just gets up. And he turns around and he walks out and he sits down by the fire. See, if you hope in anything but the Lord, you'll lose hope. And when you lose hope, it can be devastating. Notice not only the reason for his lost hope, but notice the results of his lost hope. Three things followed when he lost hope. It's interesting the way the Bible says this, and and probably good men that, that have a sincere love of the Bible could disagree with me about this. But the Bible says in verse 58, Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now look at verse 69. Now Peter now Peter sat without in the palace. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him, them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, in another gospel account, we're told that he was sitting beneath. And and most commentators would suggest that there was sort of like a courtyard there. And and, and the servants would sit beneath. and, And the trial would be taking place above. But the Bible says he went into the palace to see the end. I think he started off sitting up there watching the proceedings. I think then afterwards... When they began to beat the Lord and spit on him and curse at him, he couldn't watch anymore. And he got up and he went down and he sat by the fire and began to warm himself. He then began to be accused of being associated with this Jesus of Nazareth and fearing that he would be exposed, he then got up and went out into the porch and was accused once more. See, here's what I see. That when he lost hope, he left the Lord. I want to be very clear what I'm about to say. He'll never leave us. And when you're born again by the grace of God, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are eternally, inexhaustibly, irreversibly saved by the grace of God. But in regards to our devotion to Him and fellowship with Him, He'll never leave us, but we can walk away from Him. You say, preacher, you believe that? I've done it. I've done it. You probably have too, whether you'll admit it or not. And so Peter, in this moment, why would he stay and watch? To his mind, this isn't the Son of God anymore. He's trying to puzzle out and work out what all of this means. What he does know is he loves that man being spit upon and beaten. He knows his miracles were real. He knows his messages changed lives. But he can't compute it also. here's what he does. He just turns around and walks away. You know, one of the results of lost hope is this. He deserted him. I can't tell you the numbers of people I've seen go through hard times Lose hope. They can't compute what they know to be true about God with what they're going through in their life. And because their hope was in their circumstances instead of in their Savior, because they were trusting in in, in their life instead of their Lord, when things didn't make sense, they just got up and walked away. They said, I, I don't know what any of it means, but I'm done following Him, if this is what following Him means. <laughs> hey, listen, things are going to look a lot different in about three days. At that moment, it looked like he had lost a great loss. In three days, it had become known that he had won a great victory. I'll tell you this, don't walk away from him. He ain't done yet. Don't walk away from him. He ain't done yet. But if you lose hope, you'll desert him and walk away. Not only did he desert him, verse 72 says this. says, and again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. I would say this, not only did he desert him, but he denied him. Because here's the truth, if you're going to desert him, sooner or later you'll have to deny him. Now the Lord didn't deny Peter, but Peter denied the Lord. And I'm glad, listen, if we deny him, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. But I will tell you this, if you yield to hopelessness in your life, and if you walk away from God, if you throw in the towel, if you give up and say, I'm just tired of it all, sooner or later, you'll have to make a choice. You won't sit at home forever pretending like you're a good Christian when you've forsaken the Lord. Sooner or later, you'll say, I can't keep, I can't keep pretending like I'm something that I'm not. And so he denied him. He said, I do not know the man. It didn't end there. The Bible says in verse 74, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is interesting. The very first time they come to him and say, You're one of them. He says, I'm not. Then they come to him and say, I know you're one of them. I can tell by the way that you're talking. He says, I don't know the man. When they come to him the third time and say, I know you are one of his, he begins to curse. Why does he do that? Foul language is generally the territory of those with small vocabularies. It is. Uh, Barnyard language don't say nothing that clean language can't say. It is all about effect. That's why you say those things is because you're trying to give some artificial, superficial force to what you're trying to say. And it was no different for Peter. Why did he cuss? He had to prove to him. Prove to him. You know what he knew? He knew this, that no follower of Jesus Christ would say the things he said. So if he said those things, it'd show them that he was no follower of Jesus Christ. Preacher, if I lose hope, you know what is that? I'll just be discouraged a little while. It ain't no big deal. I just sometimes have a hard time, and I'll just feel disheartened, defeated, and you know it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. I'm not fussing at you, but I'm trying to help you this morning. It is a big deal because once you lose hope, you'll desert him. Once you desert him, you'll deny him, and once you deny him, you'll disgrace him. He he did things he never thought he would have done. I mean, Peter, for all of his talking, and he talked a lot, he would have never imagined he would have said the things he was saying here. <laughs> I, whew, my soul, man, I mean, you think you won't. You think you can't. You think somehow it can't be you. I got news for you. Better people than you and me are in the ditch today. Saved by the grace of God, that have served God more faithfully than you or I ever have, that have had a better testimony than you and I ever have, that have stepped out in faith more than you and I ever have, are today in the ditch weeping bitterly because they put their hope in the wrong thing. By the same token, people that are faithful, we think it's some big secret. I want the special sauce. I want to figure it out. Tell me the secret. I'll go down to the airport. Listen, Tony Robbins. He'll tell me all all the secrets. I'll buy the latest book. Isn't it funny, man? All these all these church growth and self-help and, and, and self-care gurus keep writing books. Wouldn't you think, hey, God wrote a book and he ain't rewriting it because it's perfect. Funny thing about it, part of the reason they put out, and there's a lot of reasons they put out the modern Bible perversions, but part of the reason they do it is they make money off of it. They can tell you, well, what you got is old fashioned and out of, out of, you know, standards and, and, and out of date and you need something new and it just so happens we hold the copyright to it. And it's funny, all these self-help gurus, you'd think if what they said was true, they wouldn't keep writing books. There'd just be a book and everybody would read that book and that would straighten all of our problems out. But they keep writing these books and writing these books and peddling their lies and so on and so forth. Why? Because we are so loath to put our hope in the thing that really matters. Say, Preacher, it wouldn't be me. It could be you. It's been people better than you and me. I see the results of his lost hope, but I'm glad the story does not end there. I'm glad not just this story, but I'm glad Peter's story doesn't end there. You know why? Because, and I may have never done the exact things that Peter did, but boy, I've I've sat by them fires. I mean, I've said things and I've done things and I've been in such a wrong place in my walk with God that it's a shame even to remember. It's a shame even to think that I ever did those things. And I'm glad my story doesn't have to end there. And I'm glad your story doesn't have to. You may be where he is today. You might have come to church for a hundred different reasons. But here you sit and you're in the same place he's in. You're not living for the Lord the way that you used to or the way you know that you should. Uh, You're discouraged. You're disheartened. You're defeated. You don't know what to do. And you find yourself doing things you would have sworn you'd never do and thought you'd never had any part in. And here you sit today and I'm here to tell you your story is not done either. If you want God, can do a work in your life. I see not only the reasons for his lost hope and the results of his lost hope, but I see the restoring of his lost hope. Because Peter's story does not end here. You can read much more of it in your own time, and I encourage you to do so. Peter, he weeps bitterly. We don't know what the next few hours or days hold for Peter, really. What we do know is that we find him on the Sunday morning that Jesus got up from death victorious uh, over the grave. We do find that that Peter and John, uh, when they heard that Jesus was risen, went down to the tomb. We do know they were there later in the upper room. But we don't really know what these three days of misery and hopelessness and darkness held for him. But we do know this, that before the Lord ever even went to the cross, there was something that happened that was the beginning of the restoring of this lost hope. We've already read it. And it's in that last phrase in verse 75. The Bible says, He went out and He wept bitterly. That's an interesting phrase. I wonder why He wept. Did He weep because He knew the Lord was about to die? Maybe that was part of it. I don't think it was the main of it. Did He weep because He thought that this wonderful life He had enjoyed? was now ending? No, I don't think that's what it was. Did you know that Luke tells us something that none of the other gospel writers tell us? It's interesting to think about Luke and the writing of his gospel. Where did Luke, Luke wasn't an apostle, so where did Luke get all of his information? Well, likely, much of it came from the time he spent with John Mark, when John Mark was traveling with Paul and Barnabas. And and Luke probably, or being related through uh, the apostle Paul, learned this. John Mark, of course, was the nephew of Peter. And, and was related to Peter. And, and, and John Mark, he would have known things through his close relationship with Simon Peter that no one else would have known. And it's interesting, John Mark doesn't even include this detail. I think it was too raw and too tender to include. But Luke does. The Bible says in Luke twenty two sixty one 61, that when, when Peter cursed, denied the Lord, that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord... How he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. See, here's the truth. You say, preacher, how, how can my hope be restored? Well, first, I noticed that he was broken before his hope could be restored. He was broken. Peter had to be broken, not by his disappointments, but by his doubt. He had to recognize his unbelief as not merely a flaw, a weakness or a failure, but as sin. Wasn't just doubt or discouragement, it was desertion. It was disobedience. And it was disbelief. I don't want to overburden you, but I'm, I'm called to tell you the truth. We all get discouraged sometimes, but yielding to it is a sin. I don't want, listen, I don't want you to just be overwhelmed and overcome. And I, I'm not trying to add to your burden, I'm just telling you, it's not a harmless thing to wrap yourself in your grief. And bury yourself in it. At a certain point we have to decide what our hope is in. And Peter, you say, preacher, he was broken because things didn't turn out the way. No, that's not when he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly when he realized that all that the Lord said would come true had come true and that he had failed the Lord and that he had not trusted the Lord. In that moment, he realized that it wasn't the high priest and it wasn't them. That wasn't the cause of his misery. It wasn't even the wickedness of the world. It was the disobedience of his own heart. Leonard Ravenhill said we'll never be broken from our sin till we're broken over our sin. Yeah, right. And here's the problem. We think we're broken when we lose hope because we are in despair. But the brokenness that's needed is not brokenness over what has happened to us, but rather what has happened in us. And until you recognize that your circumstances cannot rob your hope, you have to surrender it. And that the reason you're experiencing not the outward problems that are Pressing in, but the inward despair that is drowning you is because you've ceased hoping in the Lord. You won't change and hope in the Lord until you do that. I'm not trying to be ugly. Listen, I know psychiatrists tell me I'm being mean this morning. and I guess I'll just have to be mean this morning. But we either believe we can have joy in the Lord or we don't. We either believe we can have peace in the Lord or we don't. And you can throw it back in my teeth and say, well, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. You've never been through it before. And I, listen, you may very well be right, but I know the Word of God is authoritative and true. And the Bible says we can have peace through Jesus Christ, that we can have joy that no man can take. And as such, you have a choice to make. He, he was broken. Then I noticed a second thing. Not only was he broken, but he was beckoned. Mark tells us a precious truth that after the Lord was risen and he was talking to the women there, the Bible says that he, he He told them to relay a message. He said, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee and there shall ye see him as he said unto you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm a pessimist. If I was Peter, I would have thought, does that mean I'm not a disciple anymore? <laughs> but no, the tender message was this. Go tell my disciples. Unless Peter think that I'm done with him, you tell him from me that I want to see him. There's the weeping of contrition when he's broken, but this is a word of invitation. He had to be reminded that though he had given up on the Lord, the Lord hadn't given up on him. He had to be reminded that God wasn't finished with him and still had a plan for his life. He had to be reminded that if he wanted to yield to despair and pretend like the sky had fallen, he could do that. But not because it was true. Because the fact was, God still had a plan for his life. Peter did more after this day than he ever did before this day. Peter served God in a greater way after his greatest failure than he ever did before his greatest failure. You say, preacher, you don't understand the things I've done. You don't understand the place I'm in. I do understand this. If God was done with you, He'd take you on home to heaven. If you're drawing a breath, He's not done with you. And you say, preacher, I miss the old days, but the greatest days could still be to come. I see, listen, he was beckoned. And then finally, I see not only he was broken, he was beckoned, but I see he believed. Preacher, why is that? Well, it's interesting. Paul tells us something that is not really found anywhere else, but he reveals it to us when he's talking about the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas. Now, that's Cephas. That's not both Cephas. That's Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. He was seen of Cephas, of Peter, then of the twelve. That tells me this. At some point between the empty tomb and the upper room, Christ met Peter. And they had a meeting that the Word of God doesn't disclose the details of. But I do know this. Just as he was a different man that walked out of the garden than he was that walked into the garden, he was a different man that walked back to that upper room than the man that had left it to go view the empty tomb in the first place. <laughs> we, Peter doesn't really say much about it. Nobody says much about it. But where did he get his hope restored? Where did he get his faith bolstered? Because the Lord met him in the way. He said, Peter, I'm not done with you. Here, look at my hands. Look at my side. I'm risen. I'm living. I'm victorious. You thought it was all over, Peter, but it was all beginning. You went to see the end, but you didn't know that wasn't the end. How many times do we lose hope because we think we're seeing the end when what we're really seeing is the beginning of a matter? (laughs) Peter's hope wasn't restored till he had seen the Lord alive and victorious. He had to see that things were not what he thought because the Lord was living. Let me say that to you again. He had to see that the situation was not as he thought it was because the Lord was living. See, if you keep looking at your situation, you have reason to lose hope. But if you quit looking at your situation and remember that the Lord's living, then you'll find a source of hope. He had to confess his unbelief and hopelessness and ask for forgiveness. He had to believe and he had to bow. He had to submit himself to the fact that God's ways are perfect, even when he can't understand them. And that he would hope in the Lord and not hope in life. They would hope in the Master. And not hope in his circumstances. And then having been broken. Having been beckoned. And having believed. He becomes the man that goes on in the first and second books of Peter. To talk about hope more than anyone else in the New Testament. Talks about our hope of an inheritance incorruptible. And that fadeth not away. He talks about the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, his whole life became about hope after this day. Why? Because he knew what it was to lose hope. People that ain't never lost hope don't know what they got. But when you lose hope, you learn. Hope is not just some garnish to be placed over a person's theology. But Hope is the very strength and energy and lifeblood of the Christian's faith and encouragement in the Lord. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Because you'll lose a lot more than just hope and heart. It's possible to lose everything. Put your hope in the Lord. Preacher, I feel weak, I feel discouraged, I feel distraught. Sounds like you need your hope restored. Come to Him. He can restore it. Bow the knee. Be broken. Not because you've got a a raw deal in life. Not because you experience problems. But because in those problems you've not trusted in Him. Be broken over your unbelief, your disbelief. Be beckoned and recognize that He still has a plan for your life. And bow before Him and believe that he, He still has greater days for you in the future. And there's much more to hope in than there is to throw away our hope for. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. You don't have to wait for a single note to be played. You can slip out of your seat right now. and In fact, I encourage you to do that. longer you stay in the seat, the easier it will be for the devil to keep you there. So if God spoke to your heart, slip out of your seat right now. Come down, bow before the altar, the Lord. It's not this altar. It's not this carpet or these steps. It's the Lord. Bow the head and the heart before him. And let him have his will and way in your life. Father, bless this invitation. I love you, Lord. I ask it in Christ's name.